later on. And so the, we're going to look at a Palm Sunday message here in just a minute. So in just a moment, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew 21. And if you want to find that in your Bibles or on your phone but, uh, or on your tablet, whatever you're using, Matthew 21. But we're also going to go to Zechariah 9, verses 9 through 10 as well. And I'm going to park in Zechariah 9 here in, in a few minutes. Zechariah, by the way, is one of the minor prophets. They're, 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 they're in the, towards the back of our Old Testament. They're not minor because they're less important in any way. They're minor in that um, they had less writings. You know, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, some of the longer prophetic writings in Zechariah, Amos, Hosea, you know, they don't have as much writing. Malachi, they're, they're much shorter works. And so we're going to be going to Zechariah chapter 9. By the way, if you wanted just a little fun fact, Jeremiah is the longest book in our Bible, actually, which, you know, may not be much of a big deal today. Today we can put whatever we want on Amazon or on the Internet or on blogs or things like that. But back then it took a whole lot to get things on a scroll, and the longer it got, the bigger the scroll got. You couldn't put things on both sides of the scroll, and I had to study things like that when I was in seminary, and I find it very interesting. So, again, we're going to be on Matthew chapter 21 and Zechariah chapter 9 here in just a minute. You know, today we are going to look at a passage in which it is prophesied that Jesus will enter Jerusalem humbly riding on a donkey. But do not forget the second part of the passage. This is a double prophecy in this passage. And that's what I want to get into. It's a double prophecy. The second prophecy is that Jesus will come again. And he will make all things new. He will make all things right. But actually, when he comes again... He's going to be on a war horse. When he comes again, he's going to come as a judge. And as we look at this passage in Zechariah 9, which we'll get to in a minute, we actually see a triple prophecy. Part of it was fulfilled by Alexander the Great, and I'm going to get into that in a minute. And then it was fulfilled secondarily with Jesus entering Jerusalem. And it's going to still be prepared in the future. But I wonder, do you ever get discouraged when you turn on the news? It's kind of a dumb question right now, isn't it? You know, every day we're seeing Governor DeWine do his press conference, which is an hour and a half or so with Dr. Amy Acton and the lieutenant governor. I, I think almost every night President Trump is also doing a, a press conference, and, th and that can get kind of discouraging, especially with this COVID-19 uh, stuff going on. I, was, I don't watch the press conference every day, but the other day I saw Governor DeWine end his press conference, and he said... I'll see you tomorrow at 2. And I thought, I can't wait for the day when he can say, I'll see you in a few months, or I'll see you next, next election season, or something like that, because this crisis is, is over. But, you know, we as Christians have nothing to fear, really. We really have nothing to fear. And I'm going to talk more about that next Sunday with Resurrection Sunday. But I want to hit on it too. Now, Jesus is reigning in heaven. Jesus is in control. And, you know, Paul says in one of his letters, we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. We are more than victors. I think that's the word he used, is victors. And actually, if you read 2 Corinthians 12, which you can look up later, the apostle Paul talks about his own thorn in the side. He's speculative about what it was. It might have been malaria it could, or poor eyesight or sickness. But he said, three times I asked the Lord to remove it. Three times. 
And the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my power is perfected in your weakness. Isn't that amazing? The Lord's power is perfected in our weaknesses. The Lord's power is perfected when we have to depend upon him. And we have nothing to fear. We live life with Jesus now. We're not alone. We live life with Jesus now. And when Jesus takes us to be with him in heaven, we're going to be with him there too, in paradise. So remember that. And, and by the way, remember the resurrection. One thing Steve and I have talked about is these songs, these hymns on heaven. We don't sing enough of them in church. We don't study heaven enough. I led a sermon series on heaven a few years ago at my last church. It was almost, it was three and a half to four years ago. In a Bible study in heaven, I, I, I gave um, a sermon on heaven three weeks ago, the first Sunday we canceled here. I love talking about heaven. Heaven's going to be marvelous. Heaven's going to be amazing. We, we are more than victors in Christ Jesus. We have nothing to fear. But also remember that Jesus is with us now. We live life with Jesus. Something um, Pastor Bobby and I will talk about sometimes is sometimes we talk about the gospel is only about eternal life. And certainly that's awesome. We have eternal life in him. But Jesus gives us hope now. We have the Holy Spirit living within us. We have the word of God. We have the church. We are okay. We are safe. So even if you get discouraged turning on the news, even if you get discouraged in a time like this, take it to the Lord in prayer and know that we are safe in the arms of Jesus. God is on the throne. He is in control. And he's in control now. So I want us to look at Zechariah 9, 9 through 10 in a minute, where it's prophesied that Jesus will humbly enter Jerusalem. But first I want to read Matthew 21, 1 through 11. So first we're going to read that passage. Here's my application. Surrender to Jesus and share. Surrender to Jesus and share Jesus now. Surrender to him and share. So Matthew 21, 1 through 11 is one of the uh, gospel accounts where Jesus enters Jerusalem. Let's read it. Matthew 21. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples. So who's approaching Jerusalem? Jesus and his disciples are approaching Jerusalem, and they come to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, and Jesus sends two of his disciples. Verse 2. Jesus says to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. Verse 4. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter, say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. That's the prophecy. Matthew's gospel is always pointing to the prophecies in the Old Testament fulfilled in Jesus. We're going to come back to that in just a minute. Now look at verse 6. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks in the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him, ahead of Jesus, and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest heaven! When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, 
This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. So this is the fulfillment of a prophecy from Zechariah 9, and it's in another Old Testament location as well. It's a fulfillment. Jesus is entering Jerusalem. He's entering humbly on a donkey. He's entering. It'll be a week. Well, not quite a week. This is Sunday, and it'll be till Friday when he is crucified for our sins. A lot of ministry still happens in this time period. He tells a few parables during this time period. He does some other teachings during this time period. He has the Last Supper, you know, on this coming Thursday. All this is going on, and they are worshiping Jesus as he enters Jerusalem. They are totally worshiping him. I think I read once that Jerusalem's population would normally be maybe around 200,000 or even less. During this time, this is the Passover celebration. So during this time, it could swell to upwards of 2 million people. 2 million people in Jerusalem because it's Passover. By the way, that happened at Pentecost as well. Jerusalem's population would swell and, and all these people were there from all these nations to see and hear Jesus' teaching and later Jesus be crucified. So this, this procession, this procession of Jesus into Jerusalem was a fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy. Many years we talk about Jesus' procession, and I just did a little bit. But now, let's go back in time, back close to 500 years, and talk about the passage prophesying Jesus' procession. Let's look at the passage prophesying this. So let's read Zechariah 9, 9 through 10. Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 through 10. And I'm going to read that right now. Verse 9 will be familiar to you. Verse 10, not so much. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fool of a donkey. Now look at verse 10. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. He, his role, this is the Messiah, this is the Messiah. Messiah means anointed one. This is talking about Jesus the Messiah. And it says, his rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. So verse 10 is a prophecy that hasn't happened yet. Verse 9 already happened. Verse 9 was Jesus entering Jerusalem. First notice that this passage prophesies that the king will come and the king, will, and the king has come. We saw verse 9, and we see his fulfillment in Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11, which we read. It is also in Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 10. It is also in John chapter 21, verses 4 through 9. It is also in Luke chapter 19, verses 29 through 38. That is the fulfillment of verse 9. Now, but let me summarize the first eight verses of this passage. So, you know, we're looking at Zechariah chapter 9, and I read verses 9 through 10, but context is critical. What else is going on in Zechariah chapter 9? Because as we look at that, we will actually see a triple prophecy, first fulfilled by Alexander the Great. In the beginning of this chapter, the beginning of Zechariah chapter 9, there are prophecies against the nations surrounding Jerusalem. Now, that was quite common. It's very common in the prophets, and we see this in Isaiah, we see this in Jeremiah, even Jesus did this some, where they would 
uh, give prophecies against the nations surrounding Jerusalem. And that is happening here. In verse 8, in, in verse 8, Zechariah chapter 9, verse 8, it says that God will protect his house. God will protect his house. And that is my summary of Zechariah 9, 1 through 9. But the, but the point is that God will protect Jerusalem. Zechariah was likely written around 520 B.C. 520 B.C. And it's written to post-exilic Israel. Now, what does that mean? What it means is that in 586 B.C., Jerusalem was conquered by Babylon. And Jerusalem was conquered by Babylon, and a lot of the people were scattered. A lot of the people were sent to Babylon. Daniel, if you think of Daniel in the Old Testament, Daniel was sent to Babylon. But in fulfillment of prophecy... Babylon was conquered by Persia, and Persia sent the people back to Jerusalem. Persia sent not only the people back to Jerusalem, they gave them money to rebuild the temple. They gave them money to rebuild the wall. They sent them back with all of their temple treasures. Isn't that amazing? God watched over the Israelite people so much that he sent them back with money to rebuild and with their treasures. And that's now about this time in the writing of Zechariah. This is Israel after they had been already conquered, after they had been sent back. But though they're back in Israel, though they're back in actually Jerusalem, though they're back in Jerusalem, they're not under their own rule. They are being ruled by Persia. They are being ruled by Persia. Now you may ask, what happened with these prophecies of judgment on the surrounding nations? Remember Zechariah chapter 9, verses 1 through 8, prophecies of judgment on all the nations surrounding Jerusalem. And you're asking, what happened to all those prophecies? What happened to the judgment? I'm glad you asked. Alexander the Great carried out the fulfillment of these prophecies. God used a pagan Greek warrior king to carry out these prophecies. John MacArthur writes about them this way. He says, God used Alexander the Great to carry out the judgment. This was after the battle of Isis in 30, uh, 333 BC. 333 BC. Alexander the Great went into Syria and knocked off Syria. Then he came over to the coastline and took Phoenicia, which amounted to Tyre and Sidon. He moved south and took care of Philistia. All of the cities of, of Philistia that are named in verse 5, Zechariah chapter 9, verse 5, Eshkelon, Gaza, Ekron, he took them all. But amazingly, but amazingly enough, after destroying the nations, Alexander the Great saved whom? Israel. And it really was not Alexander the Great saving Israel. It was God protecting his people, as verse 8 says. Alexander the Great spared them. He spared Jerusalem. And he absolutely, to the T, fulfilled the prophecy penned hundreds of years before the man was ever born. A prophecy written in a book he never saw, but Alexander the Great fulfilled these prophecies. It was God's way of saying, it was God's way of saying, when you see Alexander do this, know that just as that part came to pass, so will part two. Just as part one of the prophecies came to pass, the conquering of all these nations surrounding Jerusalem, so will part two. And part two was Jesus entering Jerusalem on a donkey. That's part two. Part three is going to happen too. Jesus will come again. He's going to come again. He's going to rapture the church. He's going to bring judgment. He's going to bring about his future plan. God says, if I can use a pagan human being to judge nations and to save, and to save my people, wait and see what I'll do with the God man, Jesus Christ, in the end of the, in the, end of the age. You hear that? I love that quote. I didn't, I didn't write that. I think it was John MacArthur. God is saying, if I can use a pagan king, 
Alexander the Great, and by the way, he was a very young king. I think he died at the age of 31. He swiftly conquered all these nations, a brilliant military leader. God is saying, if I can use a pagan king to conquer these surrounding nations and preserve my people, Jerusalem, watch what I can do through the God-man, Jesus Christ, in the, in the end of the age. And that's what is going on in the first few verses of, of this passage in Zechariah 9. We then come to verse 9, which is a verse, <coughs> the verse concerning Jesus. The passage says, excuse me, just a minute. The passage says, rejoice. The passage says to rejoice greatly. Why are they to rejoice? Why are they to rejoice greatly? They're to rejoice greatly because their king is coming, humbly, riding on a donkey. Isn't it interesting, though? They say rejoice greatly, but if you look at the rest of the verse, it might be a downer. Imagine we are in a war situation. Can you imagine your king, your savior king, coming on a donkey, not a war horse? Can you imagine your savior king? If, you, if your king was entering our area in today's day, would you want him coming on, in a Volkswagen or in a Sherman tank? I would think we'd take the tank every day and twice on Sunday, right? Would we want him coming, you know, in a little bitty car or maybe in an F-16 to save you? It's very interesting. This verse says that the king is coming humble and riding on a donkey. That might be a downer to some. At least we would think about it today. A donkey is not a way to motivate the troops, at least by today's thinking. But listen to this. Early in Israelite history, a donkey was a good thing. It was respectable to ride on a donkey. King David entered on a donkey. But by Solomon's time, it wasn't. Solomon brought into Israel horses. Solomon had... Uh, some 30,000 horses in his private group of horses. He introduced the horse. And from that time on, nobles and soldiers and important people rode horses, and the donkey lost its dignity. You were really admitting your poverty by putting around on a donkey. But this passage acknowledges Jesus' humility. He's coming, entering Jerusalem, humble and riding on a donkey. Let me ask you this. This is an application. Could we miss King Jesus? Because he came in humility. I think we could, and many have throughout the history of the church. We miss King Jesus because he came in humility. Second, in verse 10, the passage prophesies judgment. And this is still to come. Zechariah 9, verse 10. Jesus is coming as judge. Let me reread that. Zechariah 9, verse 10 says, I will take away the chariots from Ephraim. And the war horses from Jerusalem, God's going to take them away. And the battle bow will be broken. That's indicative of, you know, of, of, of peace, breaking their bow. He, that's the Savior, that's the Messiah, will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Now, if you turn to Revelation chapter 14, verse 14, it seems like we see one of the fulfillments of this, which hasn't happened yet, by the way. It's still to come. It's still to come. Revelation 14, 14, it says this. I looked, and there before me was a white cloud, and seated on the cloud was one like a son of man, with a crown of gold on his head, and a sharp sickle in his hand. That's Jesus. Jesus is in this white cloud, the Son of Man with a crown of gold on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. What's a sharp sickle for? He's coming as judge. And that's why we need to repent and turn to Jesus now and follow Jesus now. 
I believe the church is actually going to be raptured up before this even happens. And you can hear more about that in my Sunday school class on Revelation. And, of course, by reading Revelation. But Jesus is going to make all things right. And he wants us to repent and turn to him now. We see this idea of Jesus coming as judge in Luke 21, 27, as well as Philippians 2, 9 through 11. Philippians 2, 9 through 11, Jesus says, uh, not Jesus, Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Spirit says, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But Jesus wants us to repent and follow him now. 2 Peter 3, 9 through 10. In 2 Peter, all the people are asking, why hasn't Jesus come yet? Why hasn't he raptured the church yet? Why hasn't he made all things new? And this is what it says. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God desires a relationship with all of you, all of us. That's why he hasn't come again yet. He loves you. He wants a relationship with you. Peter continues in verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Someday, Jesus is coming again. Someday, the day of the Lord will come. Someday, things will be made right. He's not going to come humble on a donkey when he comes again. You see, verses 9 through 10 of Zechariah are a triple prophecy. Well, a double in verses 9 through 10. They were fulfilled in Jesus entering Jerusalem on a donkey, but they will be fulfilled again, at least a second part, when Jesus comes again as judge and literal, literal king. We can look at Zechariah chapter 9, verses 1 through 10, as a triple prophecy. The first part fulfilled by Alexander the Great in 333 B.C. The second part fulfilled by Jesus entering Jerusalem, humble on a donkey. The third part is an end times prophecy, and we're not there yet. Do you ever get discouraged when you turn on the news or read the paper or read the news on your phone or listen to the news on a podcast? It makes sense if you do. Be encouraged today that Jesus will come and make things right. Jesus will come and make things right. But also, bow to Jesus and share Jesus with others now. Sometimes we want justice. But remember, if we really want justice, we've all sinned against a holy, righteous God. And we all deserve God's wrath. Jesus came. He entered Jerusalem on a donkey, humbly. Later on, on what we call Good Friday, he took the wrath of God in your place, in my place, in the world's place, upon himself, Instead of on us. He died in your place and my place. He died on the cross so that the justice of God could be poured out on him instead of us. Because he wants a relationship with us. And as Christians, as Christ followers, we have nothing to fear. Because we live life with Jesus. Let me ask you, do you know Jesus? Is Jesus your king? He is the rightful king. He is the rightful king. Is he your king or are you surrendered to him? In Luke 9, 23, Jesus says, anyone can come after me, but he or she must deny his or herself, take up his or her cross and follow. Have you denied yourself, taken up your cross to follow Jesus? The Bible uses four verbs to describe our commitment to Christ. They're confess, believe, trust, commit. We're to confess we are sinners in need of a savior. Believe in Jesus as only savior. Trust in him and commit to him. 
It means that we firmly make the decision to be with Jesus, to live life with him, in order to become like him, to learn and do all that he says, and then you arrange your affairs around him. You arrange your life around him. I'm going to ask, I know you're at home, but I'm going to ask everyone to just bow their heads, close their eyes. And I'm going to ask you that again. Are you living for Jesus? Are you surrendered to Jesus? Maybe you surrendered to him years ago, but you're not living with him now. Maybe you've never really surrendered to him. Maybe you believed in him, believed he's a savior, but, but you haven't committed your life to him. You haven't confessed you're a sinner in need of a savior. If that's the case, turn your life over to him today. If you've turned your back on Jesus, return to him today. And I want to pray right now. And this is a prayer that you can commit your life to Jesus with. You're not saved by the prayer. You're saved by what's in your heart. But if you need to surrender your life to Jesus, or you need to recommit your life, rededicate your life to Jesus, pray this prayer with me. It's just telling God what you're doing. Lord Jesus, I confess that I have sinned and missed your perfect standard. I believe in you, Jesus, that you died on the cross for my sins and rose again. I'm trusting my life now and for eternity in you. I'm committing my life to you now. Come into my life and help me to live for you. Jesus, today, I am firmly making the decision to be with you. I want to live life with you in order to become like you, to learn and do all that you say and arrange my affairs around you. I want to make you Lord of my life and be a follower of you. Jesus, you've heard our prayers. I pray that every day, every one of us, everybody watching, listening, everybody here, every day we really want to arrange our life around you, make you Lord of our life. Lord God, if there's anyone that's been listening and they committed to you for the first time, we know that you're faithful and you will forgive their sins. Help them to live for you and help us all to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to invite Steve to come up and lead our closing hymn, and then he's going to close in prayer, and then I'll end the video.